Hi, and welcome to Face Your Fears, a podcast where we have courageous conversations about those things in life that scare us the most. My name is Liz, and I'm a yoga teacher, a life coach, and a political science professor at a community college in Tennessee. I love getting to have these conversations with people who are willing to be real and honest and even a little vulnerable about things in their life that have scared them. Today is no exception, and I'm very excited to bring you this conversation with my friend Matt. So a little background. Matt and I have known each other since I think forever. When I was born, my mom went to work with a local franchise of H&R Block and at that time she started working with Matt's mom. Matt and I grew up together. He was like a brother to me. I feel like I know him as well as I know anyone else in this world. Matt is uh, an incredibly smart, incredibly capable Well, let's just be honest. Matt is a total computer geek. And I say that with all possible affection. Uh, So some of my favorite memories of Matt have to do with computers. Um, He had a Commodore 64 when we were younger. My family chose to go a different route. We had a computer that was called the Vic 20. And I don't, I've never met anyone else who's ever heard of this thing, um, but it was like a Commodore 64. And I remember bonding with Matt over computers. Um, I remember once in seventh grade, I Matt had a locker and he got this um, locker contraption where if you walked up to the locker and you started talking, it would activate like a voice recorder on the inside so that I could leave him. It was like an answering machine for a locker. So I could leave him a voicemail such as it was at his locker. That never really worked out as well as it sounded in theory. When we were in high school, we went with our moms to an H&R Block convention in Springfield, Missouri, and we had learned this was right when the internet was coming online, as it were, for for the general audience. This would have been in the fall of 1995. I had been introduced to the internet over the summer prior, no, sorry, fall 94, fall 1994, the summer of 1994, I went to Hendricks College to Arkansas's Governor's School for Rising High School Seniors, and I had been introduced to the internet there. So when our moms went to Springfield to this convention, Matt and I hauled in like the really ginormously huge monitors and massive CPU towers into the hotel. We were just like walking through the hotel lobby with these great big machines and hooked them up in our two connecting hotel rooms and called in with our 14.4 modem into the local, um, you know, sort of free net, use net, and got online and spent the night looking up funny jokes on the internet and then running back and forth to each other's rooms and sharing them. I think my favorite thing that I found was something that I had found at governor's school and it was something like 50 ways to order a pizza. Oh my gosh, we were so cool. The point is I've known Matt for a really long time and a few years ago Matt was feeling kind of tired and kind of just gross and went to the doctor they did some tests and it turned out that he had leukemia 
I think all of us who know Matt were just devastated because the vitality and the positivity and the just honestly sheer love of life that this man possesses, it just seemed unfathomable that he might have cancer. So we're here now after Matt went through the whole treatment process. And in this conversation, I'm excited to share with you his story about what happened and how he's doing. So I'm not going to tell you anything more. I'm just going to let you listen to Matt. Well, do you want me to just start at the beginning kind of then, I guess? With the- yeah, sure. Tell us tell us first what what happened that made you feel like something wasn't right? Well, it all happened very quickly. Mm-hmm. It was September 2015. And I was, I guess it started, I started not feeling well about that Labor Day weekend because I was went with my friend to New Orleans that weekend. Uh, we had planned that, planned to go there. And so it it uh, it was just kind of like a like a sore throat and a cough and was tired mostly, but had fun that weekend, got back and then just started to become more and more tired. Ended up going to the doctor because I had a, um, the sore throat got quite a bit worse. And so went in and they did some labs and figured out I had strep throat. So I got some antibiotics and the, the sore throat went away. And then it just got, I just kept getting more and more tired. And Mm -hmm. I started noticing that I had bruises like on my arms and stuff. And I mean, they're fairly good sized bruises. Like that really would have remembered that happening or should have remembered (laughs) that happening. (laughs) Right. And so I can't remember. I went back to the doctor for some reason. And I guess, and it may have been when I, I may have pointed out the bruises when I went in for the strep throat thing. Mm-hmm. And the I saw the doctor's PA, and I had also noticed I had these like spots on my legs, like purple spots. And they're come to find out those are called petechia, and it's just a it's a an issue with your you, you get that when your platelets are really low. And so they ended up they're like, well, we're gonna go ahead and do some more blood work and just kind of check that check that out and came back and my platelet count was really low. I continued to get really tired over that next week and just like come home from work and go to bed and go to sleep kind of thing. Wow. And so it's after that, they, they finally, it was some confusion with the blood work, but finally got that back. And they're like, uh, your platelets are really low. And I mean, I, I had gone to the online thing to like, look at the test results. And of course they had, yeah, and this is before the doctor had called me and it was, or I guess they'd called me the day before and said, you need to come in, come in like at eight. And so I look at the test results in the in the morning and it was like they had done what's called a slide review, which is just looking at the cells 
of the blood sample and they're like we suspect that this is acute leukemia and i was like what (laughs) (laughs) right so i go in and they told me that yeah we're gonna get you kind of fast-tracked here and got an appointment with the oncologist this was like thursday and then by the following thursday well by the following monday i was in the hospital wow and following thursday i was starting chemotherapy holy cow yeah, they did a bunch of tests and blood work, and, uh, bone marrow biopsy, confirmed that it was leukemia. And so I would say from the, it was about two weeks from the point where I was like, you know, really tired and something seemed really wrong to the point I was, I was uh, doing chemo. So yeah, it was a kind of a whirlwind, like no didn't have kidding. Time to think about it kind of thing, almost. No. How much, you know, I I have talked about this with so many people because I think this is what I do. How much time did you spend with Dr. Google? Uh, A lot, actually. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, they say not to do that, but there's also, I think there's also a, uh, an acceptance that that's what people are going to do. Like you do lots of reading and, and there's, and I, I tried to focus on things that were, were you know, came from the American Cancer Society or, you know, studies and stuff like that, that were peer reviewed and in journals and stuff. And that, but I, I did find myself doing a lot of Googling and reading and stuff. And how but, did that change your experience of what was unfolding? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's definitely scary because you look at the statistics and in some, some regards, you you read about you'll read about like there's all kinds of different leukemias and you know some are better than others (laughs) if that's if you can I guess it's all relative but Mm -hmm. yeah you you get um you know some of them it's like well I'm really glad I don't have that like you know ooh there's a you know the five-year survival rate is like 70 percent for the one I have and you know, if it was this, it would be 40%. And so it's like, okay, there's some relief that you can get there while it's still not good. But yeah, I mean, that, and I, and I found that, that like learning about it and understanding about what was going on and the details of it and learning about that kind of helped, helped in a way, I guess. I mean, just it's kind of, it's not just this thing, right? It's like a, it's like something that we understand, at least to some extent. Yes, it uh-huh. makes it less scary. Yeah, yeah, and it and so, me understanding it and being able to like talk to the doctor and understand what he's saying that helped a lot. I think I'm sure. So, like, that's a really, really fast progression. From, yeah, like I'm not feeling so hot. To oh, I'm getting chemo. Um, like, <laughs> yes, how does this work. kind of, how do you manage the, the like whiplash of that? I don't know. I guess I didn't have too much, didn't have a whole lot of time to think about it. I don't know. I'm a, I, I try to be a very much live in the moment kind of person. And so it's like, I'm trying to de- deal with what is happening right, right now. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's uh it, it it's just something you get through. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, it was it was a lot of you know. All of a sudden, well, now I can't work, and now I have to worry about disability insurance, and 
things like that too. Yeah. And you've got to call and tell your family. Well, yeah. And that was really hard to tell my mom, you know, because Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I didn't want to call her and tell her that. (laughs) No. You know, obviously there's nothing you can do and you have to, I have to tell her, but you know, um, that was a hard, that was a really hard part of it. Our mothers are not like, they're just thinking like, oh, geez, man. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when my mom called me because you called your mom. She called Nancy. Nancy told my mom. My mom called me. So it was like the worst game of telephone ever. And (laughs) I was just like, Matthew Wade is really sick. Yeah. (laughs) That's really about all she knew. (laughs) Yeah, and and you know, her and my dad both, you know, packed up immediately and came over here and helped me deal with it because I mean, it was really like when they confirmed that they're like um yeah, you need to well, initially they they were like this was a Friday that they were I was kind of finding all this out and they're everything's escalating real quickly and um First, like they said, you need to go to the hospital now. Like this afternoon, mm-hmm. you're probably going to the ho- need to go to the hospital. And so I was like, uh, okay. And then they mm-hmm. called back and said, well, it turns out that, you know, unless you're really like, you know, sick, like, and, and I wasn't sick. I, did, I felt tired and bad, but not like I can't get around or can't mm-hmm. eat or something. And so um, then they were like, okay, well, no, you can come on Sunday and we'll get started first thing Monday morning. And so, but my parents came over anyway on Friday and it, it was all very fast, but then you sit around and you have to wait now, which is also, which was difficult, which turns out the whole process is a lot of sitting around and waiting, but yes, for something to happen and for doctors to come back and tell you things and that was that was kind of interesting too, but um, they came over right away and were helping me from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So you go into the hospital, you start some chemo. What does the whole treatment process look like, at least at first? The idea is to get your the the amount of cancer cells down, and so leukemia doesn't have you don't have tumors, so there's no like you don't don't do a pet scan or anything they mm-hmm. they just look at your blood and look at your bone marrow and so it's a the kind of the standard treatment is called hyper cvad the the first line treatment and let me see once a month i guess or it's is it once a month or every 3 weeks maybe it was i can't remember now it's eight treatments and each of those was 4 days in the hospital it's it's not really like traditional chemo where you go in and have an, uh, an infusion for three hours and then mm-hmm. um, go home. It's it was more like I was having three to three or four, four days really solid of different chemo drugs. So you have to be in the hospital for it, mm-hmm. and then uh, that kills off like a good portion of your blood cells. Like you get. So that the, your your blood counts become really, really important at that point. Your immune system basically crashes 
after the chemo treatment. Yeah. And then it builds back up and you do uh, eight of these cycles and you're really prone to infection when your immune system is, is down. So that was something that happened to me a lot was I would get sick and have to go back into the hospital. Like, you know, I've got running a fever or something and I've gotten really good at knowing when I'm running a fever. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you have. <laughs> <laughs> but that process went on. Okay. Well, I guess I started mid September. I finished the last round of chemo, like the following April, I believe. Mm-hmm. So there were eight, eight of those cycles and just various, various things happen in the middle of that. I mean, just, and a lot of it is because of the treatment. Like I had a pulmonary embolism on my lung. So you, I had to have like blood thinners and there's just all kinds of like, and you know, and I got sick and stuff. So there's all kinds of like ancillary problems that you get from the treatment, obviously. Yeah. But then after that's done, most adults get a bone marrow transplant. They tested my brother to see if he was a match for me and he wasn't. So that means that I have to get an unrelated donor for, for the transplant. And since the hospital here in Tulsa did not do unrelated transplants, I had to go to Dallas. I had to start, start seeing an oncologist in Dallas to get that set up. And, and I went to UT Southwestern, just north mm-hmm. of, on the north side of Dallas there. So that started about January. I started going down there and getting, getting set up for that. Uh, yeah, it, and so I'll make a plug for the for be the match. Like anybody that mm-hmm. that was is interested in in donating bone marrow, you can go to be the match.org and get in the registry, and uh, they will call you. So yeah. everyone listening should do that. Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, then so there's more. Had to go down to Dallas several times. There's more testing. They discovered did some like more in-depth genetic testing at UT Southwestern and discovered I had a, a mutation called the, it was called the, the Icaros mutation or something like that, which means that it's a little bit, it's a bit more aggressive than they would have hoped. So that was particularly scary. Mm-hmm. And so they, that kind of made the transplant, I don't know if it was necessarily more urgent, but it was, there was some, initially going into it, there was some discussion about like, well, we would see how you do at the end of the chemo and, you know, we might not recommend a transplant based on that. And mm-hmm. it, depending on how you do and, you know, you, we might wait and see if it, I don't know if they would wait to see if it would come back or just kind of see do do some more testing at the end of the rounds of chemo and then decide there. But once this genetic testing came back with this mutation, they're like, yes, you will need a transplant for sure. So that was kind of a mix of like, it was initially really good news that seemed like they might not recommend it. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, yes, we're definitely on for this. And so and so at the end of that, they, they went back and forth with a couple different donors. And of course, they 
you know, people that get in the registry, they have to contact them and, you know, confirm that they're, I was lucky in the sense that there were lots of matches in the registry for me, depending on your ethnicity and just different factors. Some people have very few matches and so there weren't very many options, but I was lucky to have, have several options. That's great. But they went kind of back and forth. I ended up having to do another round of chemo. Then they did some more testing and were able to detect tiny, tiny amounts of cancer still after the chemo. So they, they ended up putting me on a, um, an incredibly expensive new immunotherapy drug that was called Blencyto. And they had decided that, that, the Tulsa, that the hospital in Tulsa could administer it. And it was a 28-day like constant infusion of this drug. And it required me to have like a pump on constantly connected to my central line. And it was constantly giving me small amounts of this, of this drug that, and again, it was interesting to read about how this works, but it's a completely different mechanism where it provides a way for your immune system to attack the cancer cells that are there. Oh, wow. Yeah. So when I started that, though, the potential side effects of it are, it's, it's kind of different than, like, once you get started on it, like, there's very few side effects. And actually, I felt great while I was on it. But to start it, you have, there's all these potential cytokine release syndrome or something. Basically, it gets your immune system really wound up, and then you can have all these kind of reactions and I had a neurological reaction to it, which was, I was not able to speak for two days. Oh, wow. <laughs> or not, not speak intelligently anyway. Like I knew what I wanted to say, but it wouldn't come out in the right words. What was that and like? That was, it was really crazy. It, they ended up, they had started me on a high dose of it and you're, you're supposed to start at kind of a low dose and build up. But they thought since I had very little cancer, that 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 should be I should be able to start at the full dose. Well, it caused me to have this. Uh, my doctor described it as word salad, <laughs> and it uh, like they asked me to write just anything down on this piece of paper. And I think I have a picture of it somewhere, but it's just this no, like unintelligible scrawlings of <laughs> like looking back at it. It's like what was that? <laughs> That's kind of amazing, honestly. Yeah, and but it freaked everyone out though, and they had only ever used this drug one other time at the hospital in Tulsa, and so like none of the nurses really knew anything about it. And it, it turns out that you, when you stop it, these things go away. But there were there were two two ish days of of me just being kind of nutty, <laughs> and uh, so. They started it back up and we did the, we, they, they kind of started with a small dose and then increased it. And then I was fine. It was, I think it was very important to do that because in hindsight, because it, they, when they retested me, they couldn't detect any more cancer. That's and great. they told me that going into transplant, your outlook is a lot better if they can't detect any minimal residual disease is what they call mm -hmm. it. 
And so that's good. And then let's see. So we did that and I had a, I had a, like that June was really nice because I could kind of be normal for a a little bit before we did the transplant. I had a good, I had like a month off, (laughs) let's say. And so I had done finished the Blincido and I wasn't hooked up to anything and they took my central line out, which was, which is very freeing because you have to have this, a lot of, a lot of cancer patients have a port put in. Mm -hmm. They did for me, they just did pick lines. And then when I went to do the transplant, they put in a central line, but you have like a, a tube that is inserted into, into your body. And then it's like goes into a vein and then directly it ends like right above your heart. So when they inject something through this line, it goes through your body immediately and, and disperses a lot better than through like an IV or something. Mm-hmm. So they, they were able to take all the central lines out and I could kind of be normal for, for like three or four weeks, which was really nice. What did you do? I wasn't, I didn't go back to work obviously, but just kind of hung out. I went to like, there was a kind of a music festival in town. I went to that and that was a lot of fun. I was still really weak. So it's hard to, I mean, I I built up my strength quite pretty quickly, but there was still like had to kind of take it easy, but sure. uh, But it was nice to just kind of relax. And we were getting ready to go down to, to Dallas too. And my mom had a client that had a house in Hearst, Texas, which I don't, you're familiar with DFW, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it seems like that Hearst would be close to Dallas, but I mean, it's all connected through there, but it turns out that that was what our thinking wasn't very good on that. Sure. <laughs> he had offered, she had a house down there. She offered to let us stay there. We had to, that my dad went and kind of, we're kind of helping was kind of helping him fix it up anyway. And so we were like, okay, well, we'll have like a house then we can stay in while we're down here for this. But there were some issues with the neighbors to some extent. And then it turned out that the, that drive from Hearst to Dallas was difficult <laughs> when you're trying to get to an appointment at 8 a.m. Yes. Oh imagine. my gosh! Yes. Oh. Uh, no. all, all across across one eighty three, there is is kind of brutal. Yes. Uh, <laughs> after the transplant, they offered uh, this apartment that was actually like on the UT Southwestern campus, and basically five minutes from all the facilities there. So we ended up moving into that after the transplant, but. But my parents did stay in Hearst and commuted back and forth until then. Mm-hmm. But we, we did quite a bit of, we went down a couple of weeks early to kind of get ready and start, you know, finding, get, get, get things fixed up and get settled. And I took one day to kind of uh, drive around and like, I think my parents were going to go visit some friends that live, I think in Abilene or something. And so I had kind of an afternoon off and, I went, I went skydiving actually. I don't know. Oh my you, gosh. Do you know that it's that indoor skydiving, you know? They have, right. Yeah. They, <laughs> they had one in uh, Frisco. And yes. 
And I was like, I'm going to do that today. <laughs> and so that was kind of nice. Again, it was like there was there was some time in up front to or time there to kind of not have to worry about medical stuff. So that was that was kind of nice. And then when the hospital ended um, to, to start the transplant process, the major point of the transplant is they can give you this these crazy high doses of chemo, they can give you radiation, and then it kills off everything, and then you're they put it back with the donor bone marrow cells. And so went and did the the crazy regiment that week and felt okay. But then when they finally did the transplant, it made me really sick. And one of the surprising things was that the transplant itself is not a big deal. Like they just, it's basically you're getting an infusion through your central line. And so they do it in the hospital room and they just brought in bags of these, the frozen stem cells that came from the donor and they warm them up and then give you an infusion and then you're done. Except it, it ended up then making me really sick. And that two weeks after the transplant was really rough. And uh, just in the hospital the whole time and waiting for my, for, for the stem cells to engraft and then for my white, my, my blood counts to come back up. Mm-hmm. And so after that, then we were basically staying in the apartment in Dallas and then just going to appointments and my doctor there had been kind of like, well, you're, you're, uh, you'll come to see us in the clinic twice a week and, you know, you'll just, you know, we'll go to whatever other appointments that you have, but it made it sound like it's kind of no big deal and you'd just be resting. And, but it, <laughs> it turned out that that was a, a full-time job afterwards because <laughs> <laughs> you're, there's, there's just, just all kinds of extra things that happen. I ended up having CMV virus, which is like, it's called, I think it's cytomegalovirus. And that, that was, that was kind of probably the biggest issue right after transplant. It's a virus that most everyone is exposed to, but if you, if you have a point where your immune system is completely gone, then it gives it the opportunity to flare up. And so it's a little bit difficult to treat. And so they, they watched that really carefully and I had had to get on all kinds of kind of crazy, insanely expensive drugs and antiviral drugs and stuff like that. And so there, there just was a myriad of, of, of issues that, that came around and you're, so it's like there were the two appointments per week, but then there's also you got to go see the specialist and that specialist, and so it's a lot of it's a lot of work. I had to had to like print out a schedule of you know what I was doing, and I mean <laughs> most of the most of the five days of the week were were doing something, having some kind of an appointment. But that kind of went on until. I think we moved back to Tulsa the end of October. So we were down there nearly four months, about four months. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah, it definitely seemed like a long time. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, it, it, it was nice, you know, looking back on it, I did, I did get to spend a lot of time with my parents and, 
that's you know it's it as as kind of a silver lining that's something that you wouldn't i wouldn't have gotten to to do i mean it's not under great circumstances but you know we did i felt like that we were closer after all of that you know obviously sure so you know looking back on hindsight that's it's like that was kind of a that was a that was a good thing but uh, anyway but came back to tulsa yeah, and then just kind of continued to, to you know, go to the appointments, do the checkups and stuff I needed to do. I w- I had to do this. Uh, one of the one of the major issues with one with the bone marrow transplant is that you get you can get graft versus host disease, which is basically the opposite of what a you know rejection would look like in an organ transplant. Instead of the body, your body rejecting the organ, it's the immune system, the the donor immune system attacking my body because uh-huh. it doesn't recognize. I essentially make blood cells of that are not my original genetics. It's more close, I think, more closely related to the donor's genetics. That's kind of interesting, too. But yeah, this graft versus host disease. I I had a. I had, that was one of the major issues after transplant that you have the acute version, which like flares up right away and causes a little bit different symptoms than the chronic version. And usually the acute version goes away within three to six months, I think. And then the chronic stuff can pop up any time after transplant. There's less, less chance of it if, um, but it still can come back. And so I had pretty aggressive, acute graft versus host disease. And the treatment for that was high dose steroids. Uh, so like lots of prednisone for several months, which is really hard on your body too. Yes. And so I was still doing that when I came back to Tulsa and then they my doctor in Tulsa didn't have me do these spinal chemo injections, or he had me do a few of them, but he was not of the mind that they were as necessary as my doctor in Dallas was. And you're supposed to have 16 of those treatments. Like that's kind of the general prescribed thinking um, if you're going to do them. And I'd had like six. And so <laughs> after the transplant, she's like, I want to get get you caught up on those. <laughs> and so it was like I get back to Tulsa and then I've got to do all these spinal chemo injections which were kind of which were not fun. No. To go in and it's kind of an epidural sort of thing but they inject chemo in and and then you you can get all kinds of I, I ended up having headaches from it and stuff and Yikes. Yeah. So that that continued and then I also had to go back to Dallas to do this photophoresis treatment, which is for the graft versus host disease as well. And that involves being hooked up to an apheresis machine, which is like they use that to kind of separate the blood. And they they pull the white cells out of the blood and treat it with this chemical and this light. And it damages the cells in such a way that it like calms down the graft versus host disease somehow and it's kind of an off-label like treatment of that but it apparently was very effective they started me 
on it sooner rather than later. And I think that they, they, they made some comments about how that was probably a really good thing for me. Yeah. And so, but that was, that was six months worth of, that started probably a month or two after the transplant. And then I had to come back down to Dallas until I think it was June of 17. And those were, those started like two or three times a week. And then it, they taper off to like once every three weeks, once every month kind of thing. But that went on until, uh, yeah, until June of 2017, I think. And there's a lot of stuff to do after the transplant and stuff that kind of continued on that I wasn't, wasn't really prepared for, but, you know, just have to kind of, kind of do it. (laughs) Yeah. Throughout this whole process, I mean, we're talking about almost two years now, like at what, what are you doing to kind of keep yourself sane? Well, I don't. I don't know, really. (laughs) (laughs) That's helpful, Matt. Thank you. Yeah, I know. There was a lot of, there was a lot of just like, you know, trying not to think about all the crap that's ahead of you and just trying to be doing what you've got to do right now. And I don't, I don't know. There was a lot of, there was a lot of sitting around watching TV, trying to figure out what I could watch that, you know, would not be offensive to my mom and dad, and, which <laughs> basically boiled down to like Law and Order on MeTV. <laughs> but <laughs> which is, you know, not the best. Not, not you know, it, it's it, it was good in the in the sense that I could just it's on and I could do something else. And you know. I'm sorry, I'm just imagining like how many times I would have to watch the entire. And the entirety of like Bonanza and Dr. <laughs> Quinn Medicine Woman. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman would have been a good one. I hadn't think of that. That <laughs> Highway to Heaven. Like... Oh yeah, God. <laughs> Touched by an angel. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, probably probably that too. But yeah, <laughs> a lot of a lot of Law and Order. My dad likes the likes the like cbs crime yes stuff you know the 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 law and order the ncis blue bloods which is almost intolerable <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can see that i can see your dad liking that <laughs> um yeah there's just a lot of a lot of that and a lot of just okay i need i know i need to do i need to go to this appointment i need to do this you know and you make tiny little steps and you kind of just, um, those are, those are small victories. And, and it's like, well, I I only had to go to the doctor eight times this week instead of, (laughs) (laughs) or we went and the blood counts were up a little bit. So yay. And Mm -hmm. that just continues kind of like that. Like I was on until the end of 17 was on, numerous numerous pills and you know they, those slowly taper off and like when she took me off of like four different medications was like oh wow you know i only have to take <laughs> this these 10 pills a day rather than <laughs> right and and even i mean i'm dealing with still dealing with the fallout and it's i mean just 
the beginning of this year, I developed cataracts in my eyes. Oh my gosh. End of last year. And that turns out that's because of the steroid, all of the steroid treatments. And so I've just the last couple of months had cataract surgery. Actually, the, had, had the, the second eye done Wednesday of this week. So, wow. Yeah, which the cataract surgery is a cakewalk compared to what, <laughs> what, sure. what I've been through. <laughs> that one was real easy, but <laughs> you can, can leave, the, go, like, leave and have breakfast after that. So right. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Sometimes I, I, I do look back at it and be like, how was I not insane through all this? But <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I assume your survival instinct just kicks in. I think so. Like, you know, it's, it's not like a, you know, people are like, oh, it's so inspiring that you were able to do that. And I'm like, I don't know. I just was trying to not die. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just like wake up every day and... Yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't ever get to the point where I was like, I'm done with this. Like, I'm just not going to try anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I could see, I could see how you would get to that point because, you know, if it, the, one of the scariest things is coming back, obviously, because the, you really get like, at best you get one relapse and so if if it comes back after that it's you know your the chances are are very very small that you'll you'll uh, make it after that or so i mean you get and there's a lot of great treat there's a lot of like kind of exciting new treatments coming out like one of the big things in cancer research in general is genetically modified t cells and that's in in leukemia that that's kind of been the that's where that that's they've had the most success with it so that was encouraging that there's another avenue if i do have a relapse that mm-hmm. we can go down that's a that's a novel treatment basically which is it, it kind of works in the same way that that blencito drug did but it actually gen- genetically modifies uh, your t cells to know how to kill the cancer cells which is, is, is pretty fascinating. But one thing that was really hard is like getting, you know, I know what I've got to do. I've got to get through these chemo treatments. I've got to go through and I've got to get the transplant done. And then at the end of that, it's like, like, okay, you, now you're recovering and then now I'm recovered and I don't have to go to the doctor as much. Well, then it's kind of scary to, like have to wait and then you come back and there's like more blood tests and you know, what are they going to say? And so there's, there was definitely, there's definitely kind of a, it was, it was nerve wracking to not have to do as much stuff, I guess, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Because you, you know, you're, you're like on your own and you're not being watched as much. So there's a chance that, and you know, start, start thinking about like, Oh, I'm not feeling well. Does that mean it's coming back? You know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So <laughs> I would drive myself crazy. <laughs> that was one of the, that was one of the more nerve wracking parts of it. And really at the beginning of 2018, I had a, so, so I started going back to work in 2017 part time. And then 
in 2018, I was finally kind of going back, going to go back to work full time. And then I had kind of a, had a little scare where I was like, you know, not feeling well. And what else was going on? There was my spleen hurt. And that's one of the, that's one of the signs that that was something else that I had noticed when that happened to me when I was first diagnosed, you get an enlarged spleen. And so there's this pain on your, on your left side, kind of like below your ribs. So that, the, that was hurting. And it's just like, there's a few things that I'm like, oh, I, don't, I don't know. So I, I made an appointment with my doctor and I was like, I, I think it was maybe a, a even a kind of reg, regularly scheduled thing. So it was like, I didn't, I needed to see him anyway. So I go in and I've had the blood work and, and we're just chatting. And I, I really love my doctor from in Tulsa. He was a really great doctor. And he's just kind of bullshitting and chatting. And I'm like, uh, and he asked about my kidney numbers. I've had kidney problems because of some of the drugs. And yeah. And then, and I was like, well, but I've, my spleen hurts and, you know, I've not been feeling great. And then it kind of kicked in for him that he, I was like worried that I was relapsing. And so he's like, oh, no, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like that was a huge relief but that that's probably been the the worst like scariest thing where i'm sitting around going like i think i'm pretty sure that you know this is starting all over again oh my gosh <laughs> but but that it would wasn't. drive me crazy matt <laughs> like, seriously yeah it is it's pretty nerve-wracking but i don't yeah i don't know how how it didn't drive me completely crazy but it, it is it was certainly scary what does life look like for you now? Well, it it's kind of getting back to normal a little bit. The the other tough thing obviously was that like you know, mid first part of 2017 and I'm still recovering and and slowly getting better and then my mom was diagnosed with liver cancer. Mm-hmm. And and that was that it was probably I don't know, it was almost scarier for me with her sure we had to start all that kind of process again and i was trying to be there as much for her as i could and we were traveling to houston for that and so that was kind of rough too and so it's just been there's been a whole lot of just craziness going on the last few years and it is kind of nice that now things are kind of getting back to normal i don't know it it's like I'm going on work trips and I'm going to meetings at work and just doing what I would. I mean, obviously it's not exactly the same, but, but I feel a lot more normal than I have in a long time. It's <laughs> good. Yeah. I'm glad. And I'm, you know, able to travel and, and worried about going on vacation and do I have enough vacation time and, you know, th- things I worried about before, which is <coughs> <was> nice. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and, and definitely the worried about, about relapsing is tapering off. And so that's good. Do you feel like this experience has changed the way you think about your life in any way? Well, def- yeah, definitely. I feel like I was always kind of the, uh, like, not the type of person to be putting things off like doing things anyway 
but that's especially true now. Like, I definitely try to enjoy life as much as possible. Live in the present, I guess you could say. And that, yeah, this whole that whole experience has been, made me much more aware of that, I guess, even. Yeah. And, and throughout the whole cancer experience, too, like, like I was saying with the, the month that I had, I had off between the chemo and the transplant. It's just like you got to really enjoy the times when you feel good. If you feel okay, you know, you're not having to put up with anything too crazy. I was much more aware of needing to enjoy that. Yeah, I think that's really wise. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely a crazy life experience to have. And just because I know I was there for some of it, not much, but I know that there were moments where there was a lot of humor. I'm yeah. wondering if you want to share some of those. Like the things well... that really made you laugh. <laughs> You know what I'm uh, talking about. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, there, we don't just, need to talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of just like, yeah, you get real used to talking about your poop. Obviously, <laughs> like, like they 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 constantly ask you like what it looks like, how often it happened, uh, and so then then the barrier to like talk about that with other people comes down, right. and that's definitely kind of funny. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah, I would definitely try to find humor in things, I guess, because, you know, if you can't laugh at it, I mean, it definitely helps to be able to laugh a little bit. Well, that's, that's just kind of how I think of you anyway. Like, well, yeah, I, I try, to, <laughs> try to, try to be that way. Yes. It's, I, you know, and it, it definitely, definitely helps to, to laugh and get your mind off of it a little bit. Yeah, I can't remember. I know you came to visit one time while I was sick. You were here for the for to visit your Doug's family. Yeah. It was around and, Christmas time. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember where I was at in the process when you came to visit. Well, you hadn't yet had the transplant. Okay. So I think it was probably probably fairly early on then yeah i think you were still getting chemo and such and you were between those and we got some takeout food and yeah that's right and talked you showed me the collection of mail that you had gotten from (laughs) various people the reactions of different people that different people have is is fascinating and just (laughs) the cards that you get and oh yeah i think i think i did show you the Yes. One from like some relative that I had that <laughs> lives. I I'd never met these people, but they clearly are super religious and are like, <laughs> like the whole card is like walk as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death kind of thing. And it was just like, oh my God. <laughs> I have. Matt, I have never stopped laughing about that card. <laughs> this is a not helpful. <laughs> I know. As you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, know yeah, that I, whatever happens is God's will. And yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's that's one thing that that uh, kind of the the irony of people's statements that you know, know. They, things that are things that they they really think are helpful that are just not helpful at all. <laughs> 
<laughs> Honestly, though, like, I mean, even when I saw you and you had just, like, not that long before received that card, it, it to me, I mean, I was there for very little of your cancer story, but that's <laughs> definitely the highlight. Like, that card just killed me. <laughs> yeah, it, it just... was, I, I've probably got that somewhere, but... <laughs> It was the best thing ever <laughs> because it so missed the mark, you know. Yeah, it really did. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it is very interesting, and it, you know, like one one thing that uh, the one thing that happens is absolutely everybody says, "What can I do to help you? I want to do something to help." And, you know, at some point, obviously, you do need help, like, but at some point, not, you know, the number of people that can't possibly be providing uh, some kind of, like, doing something for you. Right. And, uh, you know, it's a nice sentiment, but, you know, at the same time, and various people are, some people were more pushy about that than others, obviously, but... um yeah, I I did get a lot of cards from people and that was that was nice. I mean, mostly. I mean, <laughs> except when you get the <laughs> the really odd one, but right. <laughs> like the like the cards that you sent me were always really great. I wasn't uh, fishing for a compliment, but I'm I glad. I know, but <laughs> but that the, the they really were. There were some and and uh Arlene Dixon would always send me a card. You know her, right? Yes, I do. Yes, and so that <laughs> she always had really sweet cards too. Yeah, I'm sure she did. She's a sweet lady. Very sweet. Um, that's great. Yeah, but it's something that I've noticed that, like, when something happens to you and you're kind of your life is upended, it's almost like so much of your energy ends up being directed at trying to help other people like, because they want to help you. And that's just like kind of yes. exhausting. It is. You know? it's very, it's I can't just take care of myself. I have to take care of you now too. Exactly. And, and people don't realize that. Yeah. And, you know, and a lot of people had the instinct to want to come up to the hospital and sit with me and like be there all the time. And <laughs> that was just exhausting for me. Yeah. Because you know, I mean, I, I do not that I don't want anybody to come see me ever, but at the same time, there's there's a constant flow of nurses and doctors and things that that you have to do in the hospital, and it, it's not comfortable. And you know, but it's, so at the same time, it's like sometimes I just need some time to for everybody to go away, and I can look at my computer or watch TV or whatever, and just completely disconnect and. That I had to, had to have that conversation a few times, and like my parents and so my friends would when I was done, they would got the hint and they would leave. But that that took a minute to kind of sure kind of sink in for everybody and get everybody get on board with that. Yeah. And it it was really like when I w when I did have time at home by myself and could take care of myself. That was that was nice. Maybe not always the best plan, but <laughs> there were a couple of times where I did get sick or did have a fever and it's like, I have to call my friend. And then it's like, well, what if I, you know, what if I hadn't been able to get a hold of somebody or if this has happened yeah. in the middle of the night or so, but you know, it, it all worked out. So 
I have to believe that that experience has really shown you just how strong of a person you are, though. Well, I think so. And I don't, I don't know that I would have, if you had told me that I was going to do all of this, <laughs> like the, the first week of September in 2015, <laughs> I would have been like, uh, what? <laughs> and, and a lot of the times I think the doctors were good at not giving too much information. Yes. <laughs> or being more, or being, being more positive than to try to make it a little less scary than it was i mean because there there were sometimes my doctor would be like oh yeah you know you'll just go do this and and you know you'll be fine and then it was like actually doing it it's like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) yeah but yeah you know looking back on it it is it was a lot but and i would don't know how exactly that i got through all of it but i did so i guess i guess i am a stronger person than i would have thought i was yeah So I want to end just by asking you, like, what, what's the next fun thing that you're going to do? Let's see. I'm going to go to Hangout Festival in um, Gulf Shores, Alabama in May. And I'm looking forward to that. That's one thing I do quite a bit is go to music festivals um, in I like to go to ACL, which is in Austin, and then this Hangout Fest, which is in Gulf Shores, and it's a, it's a really nice just like go just hang out on the beach and just listen to music and not have to worry about anything. It's yeah. really pretty and calm, and so yeah, that that's the doing that in May, and then I'm going on a cruise in mm-hmm. July with my boyfriend, and that will be nice. Where are you going? We are leaving from Galveston and then going to Cozumel and then to Grand Cayman and then to Jamaica and back. And it's a week long. So I think that will be really nice. I've only ever done a cruise once before, but it's kind of nice to just not have to think about anything. I know. So I, I do really enjoy like traveling and the planning and the figuring a place out and stuff. Like I, I listened to your friend that she was talking about traveling alone. Yeah. And I was, I really connected with that. That was really, I was like, I've, I've done that a couple of times, like traveled, like gone on vacation by myself, not for a long period of time, not as long as she had, but like, you know, a couple of days and really enjoy that. And, but at the same time, the cruise is sort of the opposite of that, where you just go and everything's there and you kind of do what you want. And there's lots of activities and you can do them or not do them. And so that, I think that will be really nice. The one cruise that I've been on, uh, the thing that I loved is that I didn't have to keep packing and unpacking. Like my fern- my my suitcase moved with me. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then I would just like wake up in a new place. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice in that way, in that regard. Yeah. So this is, yeah, the only other one I went on was like four days. And so this is quite a bit longer. So we'll, we'll see, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm excited about that. I think that'll be fun. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. But, well, Matt, I want to thank you for sharing all of this. Well, you're, you're very welcome. I'm gl- I was, I was th- thinking about it. There's, I don't know, part of me that feels like I need to tell the story some because 
when I was going through it, that really helped to talk to people that had been through it before in a way that like, I don't, I'm not entirely sure how I would describe it. Even just, just hearing somebody else's story was really, really helped a lot. And so I feel like I should do that more, I guess. So glad to get this opportunity. I mentioned at the top of the show that Matt is one of my favorite people, that he has such a a wonderful sense of optimism and just honestly like a go with the flow kind of vibe about him. He always has. And I love that that comes across in this conversation. Matt's doing well. And since he completed his treatment for leukemia, he's had a challenging road. A lot of things have happened to him and his family that have challenged them. And I think you hear in his telling of his story, the resilience that he found in his own dance with cancer. And I think you also hear a groundedness that I'm not sure either of us really possessed until recently in our lives. A real appreciation for what's important and the importance of relationships to our overall happiness in life. I'm so grateful that Matt's treatment went as well as it did, but mostly I'm just so grateful to know people like Matt Lewick who just keep on keeping on and have a come what may attitude about life. His courage and his tenacity continue to inspire me, and I hope that in hearing his story, they also inspire you. This is the last episode in my mini-series on facing your health fears, and I just want to say thanks to all of the people who bravely came forward and agreed to talk to me about health concerns, be they personal or the kinds of things that healthcare professionals see in their day-to-day work life. I couldn't have done this without you, and I have to say that I feel like such a more educated consumer of healthcare now than I did when I started on this journey. I hope that you too, listener, have found some nuggets of wisdom or comfort or inspiration in this mini-series. And as I mentioned in my last episode, I'm going to take a little break from the podcast. That doesn't mean that I won't be recording conversations or thinking about what comes next for the podcast, but it's the end of the semester and I'm taking some students to DC for some national security learning. And I need a little break to rejuvenate and think about what I want to do next with the podcast. So I'll be back in a few weeks with some new episodes, some new conversations. If you'd like to join me, please reach out. You can find out how to do so on my website at www.liznorell.com. That's L-I-Z-N-O-R-E-L-L.com. And tell your friends about this podcast. I love hearing from people and hearing what they think about the conversations, hear what they really found resonated with them. And... I hope that you'll share this with someone who you feel like might get something out of it. 
So thank you as always for hanging in there with me despite the sometimes lack of consistent output during the spring semester. April is just hard. March is hard too. But I'll be back with you soon. I appreciate that you're here. So thanks everyone. Have a great May and I'll talk to you next month. Basically, I just want to talk a little bit about kind of your own health excitement. (laughs) (laughs) That's a way to put it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I think it'll be fun to kind of hear the story from start to finish.